Welcome to episode 15 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined in virtual studio by the man who could go professional in social distancing, the one, <laughs> the only, John Sloat. We, we know that's not true. We know that's true <laughs> of our friend, Nate in Ohio. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, he, he would be, well, he'd be an elite social distancer. I, I yeah. still think you're, you're, you're professional quality. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I'm nowhere in, I'm not in his league though. And well, I just want to admit that at the top of the podcast here. No one is, no one is. So how's the, uh, how's the quarantine life treating you? Uh, it's good. It's good. Um, yeah. Andrew and I are doing a lot of cooking and, and uh, keeping the house clean. And if we had a, you know, if we had a yard to work on right now, we, we would, our yard is just a big dirt pile right now. So we're waiting on grass to be planted by our by our builder. So, um, but yeah, just trying to, just trying to stay busy, trying to do workout videos in the afternoon and trying to, uh, trying to cook dinner and clean and stay sane. So you're probably a P90X guy, a beach body guy. What, what kind of, uh, what, what kind of workouts are we talking here? No, Brent Mencarelli, who's uh Grace's chaplain, uh, turned me on to this, uh, free online, mostly free online, uh, youtuber that does workout videos uh fitness blender is the website it's it's, okay it's pretty good you know do a do a high interval training um working towards the uh the six pack for the uh for the wedding is that what we're working towards here the uh i I think we're just i think we're just working for not having diabetes is sort of the goal (laughs) okay is 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 a bit of the goal at uh at this point so gotcha how uh how's quarantine in the Harmon home with a few more people yeah, so um, I I don't know that much has changed uh, since our last episode, other than the nicer weather definitely makes a big uh, difference in the sort of morale in the Harmon household. Yeah, uh, I've been I've been trying to run more consistently, but uh, and also playing basketball with the boys uh, in the driveway uh, has been good. So yeah, it's uh, I feel like we're you know kind of like in groundhog day right every day feels pretty much more or less the same every day is the same yeah well how uh how's how's teaching classes uh online going for you how's how's that experience been yeah so i've got it pretty easy uh in terms of i've got one class and i had all almost all of uh the lecture material previously recorded for our deploy program okay and so uh, really, I haven't had to record any lectures. I've been meeting once a week with my Greek exegesis students. Um, so, you know, m- m- heavier load on the email in terms of answering questions and that kind of stuff and interacting with students. But um, I by far have it much easier than most of my colleagues, including you, since you've got, uh, you have one class, but you have 40, 40. 46. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was 47 and I was very frustrated that one person wasn't responding to anything. And uh, then I learned that they are um, a silver scholar, um, which is, uh, <laughs> yeah, which is our uh, uh, retired population coming in to take classes at grace. And, uh, and I don't think the I think the silver scholar just sort of threw their hands up and said, I'm not going to worry about this. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was, uh, so we're down to 46, but yeah, it's been good. I do live lectures three times a week. Um, and then, uh, and then do online quizzes and those sorts of things. So it's been good. A lot of emails to respond to for it. Um, I think the hardest part has been that I have just a small group of students, just a very small group of students that just aren't responding to anything that I send them. And so that's been frustrating because I want to be understanding, but also feel like a jerk that I'm like putting burden on them in the midst of, you know, quarantine and all all these things. So yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a mixture of feelings there. Gotcha. Well, we certainly want to uh, encourage our listeners to connect with us, uh, whether it's through social media. You can find us on Twitter at V and S pod. And you can always email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. We would love for you, if you're enjoying the show, to leave us a five star rating. And even if you five star. Five stars only, yes. And if you want to go above and beyond the call of duty, uh, leaving us a, a glowing short review would be greatly appreciated. I don't know. If, I haven't checked lately if we've had any additional 
uh, reviews. But I did want to note research. that yeah. uh, we did pick up a listener in a new country this past week. Um, is that the uh, is that the Philippines listener? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was exciting. I don't. I have no clue. Just no idea. No idea. No idea. So. Yeah, I mean we're 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 slowly inching our way across this great planet of ours. So, um, when it comes to uh, our sort of sports segment for today's episode, last week we mentioned that the NBA was sponsoring a horse competition. Uh, again, if you're not familiar with what that is, it's a game that kids have played for centuries it feels like probably but uh you know you play it in the driveway one person takes a shot and if you make it the next person has to make that exact same shot in the exact same way or you get a letter and then once you spell out horse you're done you lose so the nba is trying to uh do something along these lines and they had eight players competing in this did you watch any of this I did not. I've seen some video clips um, and I, I've heard some commentary on it, but, uh, but I, I, I did not watch. Did you watch? Uh, I did. I, I did not know that uh, it was starting on Sunday night on Easter evening until uh, you and I both received a text from Nate in Ohio <laughs> commenting about uh, a certain feature of the, uh, of the competition. So, yeah. Um, but uh, I think the biggest surprise seems to have been that uh, WNBA player Allie Quigley took out Chris Paul. Yeah, and where does she play? Like, what team? What team? I think I'm not, she I'm plays. Not, I think she plays in Chicago. Okay, I'm not familiar with the WNBA. I just, I'm I just don't either. follow it. I'm not. Either. She, uh, she apparently outshot uh, Chris Paul, huh? Yeah, she's apparently um, won a couple of three-point competitions in the WNBA, so a sharpshooter. Uh, but okay, let here's here's part of the deal. The here's one of my uh, surprising observations of the eight players who participated in this, and this includes former players like Chauncey Billups and Paul Pierce as well. Um, only one of them had their own personal indoor home gym. Everyone else is playing outside. Yeah, yeah. Although I will say from the video footage I saw, Chauncey Billups was on his estate, it seemed. And it, it was sure. quite, it seemed quite beautiful. And the same for Zach Levine. I mean, he, yeah. he, at one point they had him walk around his property where he's showing like, well, here's my batting cages. And here's like, I mean, he, ha- he has this palatial, you know, whole grounds that he's walking around. But it just surprised me that Mike Conley's the only guy with an indoor gym. So he had a huge advantage, I think, playing indoors, controlled environment compared to guys playing outside and, and in the wind. And Yeah, yeah. It, it would seem to increase the number of factors you got to consider when, when taking a shot. Um, where, where is Mike Conley located? Like any, any idea where his house is? I mean, because he's from Indiana. He's from here in Indiana, right? So Yeah, he's an Indianapolis guy. I, I don't remember seeing where... Um, where he where his home is uh, he played for years in memphis before just this past year playing in utah now uh i, I can't imagine that he was that he was in utah because uh, right it's his first year there i can't imagine that he just bought a house that happened to have a really nice indoor <sighs> gym you know it just doesn't it's a like dream it. on the wall right yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so um another surprising uh, element of this was the fact that your guy that I you know. picked lost? It was. It was. You know, I felt Trey Young was a sneaky pick and and was a good pick. Um, he was good enough to at least be included, right? Yeah. Um, but he lost pretty quickly, so that was that was. Well, actually, uh, well was he sad. he had an early lead over Chauncey Billups, and then yeah, just but, started missing shots left and right. But what was Chauncey's nickname when he was in the NBA? Um, wasn't it Mr. Big Shot? Mr. Big Shot. So, of course, Mr. Big Shot's going to come through. Yeah. But, again, you know, Trey Young's playing outside. And some of these guys, like, they're playing in their driveway. Which, okay, that's, you know, respectable. But I'm stunned. Some of these guys are playing on, like, hoops that 
look like they just went to Walmart like it, uh, you yeah, know, I, two I days ago. And it, you know, they they put it together in like three hours, and you know, it's got like the sandbag holding down the the base of the rim or the of the hoop, and um, you know, now some of those guys obviously have you know really nice hoops and that sort of stuff, but just yeah. kind of surprising. But from the photos I saw, it looked like Trey Young was in like his parents' driveway almost, like like yes. it almost looked. Like, now I think that's his house, right? But it, but it looked like he would he. He's like, hey, I'm gonna crash at mom and dad's, you know, um, in their in their subdivision and and do this. Uh, yeah. One of the one of the criticisms I've heard about it um, is that the video quality was not very good. Yeah, very poor. Uh, but you know, obviously, if you're honoring the the sort of the quarantine kind of thing, uh, you're essentially relying on Wi-Fi because these guys yeah. are playing outside, and so you got you know, variations in quality of Wi-Fi uh, of the people recording uh, what each of these athletes are doing. So, you know, it, it's, yeah, the, the, the video quality was, uh, was a bit um, low. Hmm. And so, and so where, where does it go from here? What's the, uh... Uh, I think it's the semifinals are next uh, on uh, Thursday, if I remember correctly. Uh, Mike Conley takes on Chauncey Billups, and then the uh, uh, Allie Quigley, the WNBA uh, sharpshooter, uh, hmm. plays Zach Levine. Chicago versus Chicago, there, huh? Yes. Now, interestingly, uh, thankfully for Allie uh, Quigley here, no dunking is allowed in the uh, in this. Yeah. Otherwise, that's that's all Zach would do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, one other thing before we move on. Uh, Trey Young, apparently, like a couple days before the competition, was a, was so bored <laughs> in quarantine that he posted his real cell number on social media. And then he doubled down on that during the competition, and they posted it again, and he basically said, yeah, go ahead and hit me up, text me. I, I, I can't fathom doing that. Hold on, I'm looking it up right now. I'm looking for his cell phone number. <laughs> yeah i mean can you fathom yeah being an nba player and putting out your real cell number and encouraging people just to hit you up uh to text you i mean how many it's texts fun. do you think he's getting out of that it's got to be thousands i mean the nba is super super popular right um he's got to be getting a, a ton of texts yeah oh are you ready for his number are we yeah, ready we, to i mean we it? can yeah, we can give it out. I mean, he's clearly not shy about it. So. Yeah, Trey Young's number, 404-737-4344. Uh, go ahead, text Trey Young, see, what he's, see what's going on, see if he responds, see if his phone explodes. Yeah, tell him you, you heard his cell number on the Various and Sundry <laughs> podcast, and uh, we'll have to see if we can get a shout out. So. Yeah, again, that number is 404-737-4344. Yes, indeed. <laughs> What, 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 what sort of text? What would you send Trey Young? What, what's, what do you think people are texting him? Well, I was trying to encourage uh, my youngest son uh, to to text him. He's like, I don't even know what to text him about. You know, um, I suggested, why are you missing so many makeable shots in horse? I mean, you know, why don't you have a better uh, situation there in terms of an indoor gym or a better hoop in the driveway? I mean, I don't know. You could throw shade at him. He yeah. seems like a he seems like a pretty you know level headed down to earth kind of person as best you can tell from you know what you can see on the outside. So yeah, hmm. I don't know what I'd text Trey. I'd, I'd probably ask him, "Hey, come to Grace. Come come hang out." <laughs> John Sloat always recruiting for the yeah uh, yeah. I I'd, I'd love to see him uh, see him on campus. I mean, he's about the right age, right? Um, yeah. he'd be, uh, he'd be going into his senior year this year. Um, so fourth year senior, I mean, he could come, uh, play with the team, you know? Sure. I don't know. I think it'd be fun. Or at least I'm sure he's not, he wouldn't be eligible to play on the actual, uh, varsity team here, but, uh, yeah, un unleash him, yeah. well, unleash him on the intramural scene. And that would be a fun watch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So anything else on the, uh, 
on the NBA horse competition before we move on to our main topic today? I don't think so. Anything else going on in sports we need to, we need to break down? Um, NFL draft coming up soon. Um, NFL draft like coming up. We're recording on April 14th, so I think that's the 23rd, I think it starts. And they're doing it virtually. The, the 23rd to 27th is yeah. usually. I, I think I heard that um, – <laughs> that Roger Goodell is going to do his part, uh, pl- play his role uh, from his basement in his home. And I, I saw someone comment, this will be the first uh, NFL draft that he's not hearing boos. Yeah, I was about well, to say, is, is his family going to gather <laughs> and boo him to make it feel more like, more like an NFL draft? It yeah. would be nice, yeah. I think they should do that. So I've, I've heard that some teams are upset that uh, Jerry Jones and his son will be in the same room and have an advantage over other teams uh, because they can't be in the same war room. And I, I've, I've heard some, some commentators go, oh, since when is it an advantage that Jerry Jones and his son are in the same room? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, well, our, our main topic for today and I think even before uh, COVID-19 took place, I think at some points we had maybe mentioned this as a possible topic to talk about. And it seems especially relevant now in terms of our forced uh, quarantine. Yeah. And that's simply the, the topic of community. Uh, and uh, why is it so important? We'll get into a, a whole variety of different angles on this, this subject of, uh, of community. But uh, let's, let's maybe start with um, why, why is it so fundamental to the nature of Christianity? Why is it that, um, and, and maybe even if we want to branch out, why is it at some level fundamental to our nature as human beings? to want to have some measure of community. Obviously that differs by wiring and, and, and personality and that sort of thing, but. Sure. Sure. Um, even though I I've seen, uh, even doctors come out and, and maybe psychologists more come out and say, even the most extreme introvert, uh, needs people like, like, like even the most, you know, even the most extreme introvert needs to have people around them, even, even in a time of quarantine. Um, and uh, and I, I don't know if you're if you're asking the question why do we need community? I'm not, I'm not sure I have phenomenal answers for that, but but I do know it's a basic human need and desire going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? Yeah. Where Adam is in the garden walking around and looking for uh, uh, a, a you know suitable helper, and and uh, there there's none, and so the Lord the Lord. May- makes him one you know the lord says this is not good um, that he is alone uh and so we we learn from from god himself in that moment that that loneliness and and being on one's own is not a good thing and, and we need others to multiply joy to uh, uh fill and subdue um we, we we need other people around us that that's what i naturally think of what how about yourself yeah, I think that uh, those are all um, things I would echo. And um, and in terms of uh, when you when you look at Genesis, there there's absolutely I think sometimes when when people read uh, Genesis one and two, they read that as primarily even when God when God says it's not good for man to be alone, I think they stop at the piece of like oh well that, that refers to marriage. And obviously, it, of course, refers to marriage, but I think it goes far beyond that in terms of how God has wired us, how God has made us, that he didn't make us to live as isolated individuals, that even when you look at the original commission uh, that God gives in terms of be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, that uh, requires more than one person. And even the purpose of it is to multiply the number of people. And the idea is obviously not that they would live these sort of completely isolated individual lives, but that together they would reflect God's image and do the sort of um, uh, building of creation, uh, the exercising of dominion 
that, that God envisioned in that commission such that uh, from the very beginning, God has intended human beings to live in community with each other. And, and when we see the fall, um, when, the, when the fall takes place, right, I mean, just a, just a chapter later there in Genesis, um, we, we regularly see them hiding from God. We often, we often think about that, that there is, a, there is a break between man and God, right? And that, that's certainly central in the biblical narrative. Yep. But there's also a hiding of from one another. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a covering. There's a, uh, a, a lack of vulnerability um, that happens uh, between yeah. husband and wife in that moment. Absolutely. And, and it, um, even, even in that context, you see um, immediately a sense of not just of shame, but uh, of blaming, of blame yeah. shifting. You know, uh, each... Each, both Adam and Eve are blaming someone else. So, you know, it's um, Adam blames his wife and really blames God indirectly when you when you read the text because he says the the wife that you gave to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then the woman, of course, blames the serpent, and so um, lots of blame shifting there. But even when you look at the consequences of the fall that a central piece of that is in fact that relationships between human beings becomes infinitely more complicated mm -hmm. and is uh, affected at the most fundamental levels by, by sin and selfishness and, and such. So. And, and I think we see that the, the ideas of community develop and that, that it's still a need, even in, uh, even in, uh, even after Christ's death, burial and resurrection. Right. So, um, we see Paul constantly talking about one another passages, right? That, that the church is supposed to do things uh, together. We're to care for one another. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. Uh, uh, we're to do a number of things uh, together. Yeah. And even, even in the book of Acts, after, the, um, after Pentecost, right? And the Spirit's poured out and you have this massive um, spiritual awakening uh, thousands are converted. Right after that event, uh, Luke goes out of his way in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, to uh, describe what the community life was like among these early believers. And that seems to be a pretty significant emphasis even in the rest of the book of Acts, that uh, God is not just saving individuals, as, as central as individual salvation is, He's saving people into uh, a body of people, into a group of people, that the idea of a sort of completely isolated individual Christian is not really something that the New Testament envisions. Now, obviously, there can be exceptions, right? So you've got the person who um, is living in a closed country and happens to stumble upon a Bible and is converted, and they don't know another Christian. Well, well, of course, those things happen, but um, that's not the norm, and that's not the 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 sort of ideal that the that the Bible portrays for us. Yeah, and uh, and oh goodness, I had a thought. And now I've now I've lost it. <laughs> um, the um, and and uh, you know the here we are. Uh, we as humans are great at, at faking those things, right? So, so we, we, can, we can build up, you know, uh, you can say something like you just said, right? The New Testament doesn't have an idea of people, of a Christian that's not in a church or not a part of, of a group of believers. Um, and so I, I think some people um, listening to our podcast go, I'm attending church on Sunday regularly, therefore I have my fix and need for community. Sure. Um, I, I think it requires a little bit more than that. It requires requires relational intentionality. It requires some vulnerability. It requires some trust of others and it requires personal relationships. Um, and not, not just, not something just deep, deep relationships, uh, but, but, but also pretty superficial relationships. You know, I, I, some of the best times I have in community with the guys at church are, are over fantasy baseball or over, um, uh, different sports that are going on. Uh, Sure. And so I, I, I do know, um, and I'm sure this happens to you a lot as well, um, people that you frankly don't know that well are coming up and asking really, really big, big questions. Um, 
uh, and asking you personally what your thoughts are or how do you do this? And you're just like, ah, maybe we could talk a little bit, a little bit of sports first or, you know, <laughs> um, before we get to, you, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, so, I, I like to liken it to, um, and I, I, I won't name I've got one or two specific people in mind that I won't name, but in, in my past I've had uh, people who um, I think part of this is because I'm a professor, but I get people who I barely know or are just getting to know me ask what I, what I sort of jokingly refer to as like, that's more like a third or fourth date question for me. <laughs> you know, it's the like, let me dive deep into some like, sort of personal or even like theological deep end where I'm like, you know, um, let's build a little bit more common ground here before we, you know, before you, you know, pound me with these sort of deep pressing questions. Um, so there is a sense in which I think that for most people, uh, you have to sort of build towards a depth of community, a depth of relational engagement. Most people are not wired uh, for a sort of, oh, I just met you, now let's share our deepest fears and dreams and experiences and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't do that. People do that to me. I'm just, I, I just immediately begin to back away. I'm just like, mm, no thanks. But you do have people like that in your life where you have those levels of conversation. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, um, and some of this too depends on how you're wired, of course. I think people who tend to be more introverted in private, like both of us tend to be, yeah. uh, can take a little bit longer to, uh, to get to those levels of um, sort of conversation and, and open sharing. But um, I, I think both of us would, would readily affirm we need those. We need to have those kinds of uh, relationships in our lives. And I think that part of the difference is probably people like you and me don't feel like we need to have that with like 15 people. Yeah. It's just one, just a, <laughs> just a handful if that. Yeah. So there are even sort of levels of community, right? I think that, you know, bo both of us for uh, years were in the same life group at church. We're no longer, uh, it was yeah. an amicable uh, it was not, a multiple. Not, not because of any. Not because of any bitterness. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, we multiplied out and went different directions, but um, you know, I, I think obviously you and I have conversations where we would talk about things privately that we wouldn't even share necessarily in the context of that life group, which we were very close with. We had a terrific life group where we were pretty stable for a couple of years, two, three years, and built some really good, strong relationships. But even in the context of that, uh, we wouldn't always necessarily share the, the absolute depths of, of things that we might talk about between the two of us privately versus, you know, in the context of a group. Now, part of that is there's a, there, there was the, the sort of the mixed gender dynamic of perhaps things that uh, we'd want to talk about would be more awkward or um, just more challenging when you add that dynamic in, but still there, still there. Oh yeah, Ab absolutely. Yeah, gotta, gotta have those relationships, those are necessary. So why do you think, um, why do you think some people, and even we can speak to some degree from our own experience probably, but why do you think some people shrink back from being in that kind of community? Yeah, I, I know for me, like I, I have a strong desire for privacy. And, and so some, sometimes my, my strong desire for privacy uh, can override um, my understanding that I need community. Um, and so I, I, I think that's a, that's a real thing, at, le at least for me, and I assume uh, for others as well. Um, but I, but I, also, I also think there's a, there's a piece where, um, where people, people can shrink for a community because, because they would, they would say, if you saw the ugliness of who I am, you wouldn't want to actually know me. Sure. So I, I think that's part of it as well. Um, and then I think there's probably uh, an, another piece where I just want to be autonomous. I just want to do my own thing and I don't want to be responsible to anybody else. So th those are some things about why, why I think people shrink from community. How about yourself? Yeah, I think those two dynamics are, are, are pretty fundamental. Um, and I think that, uh, your second point is actually a piece that 
oftentimes is not considered, meaning I think when people tend to think about the idea of community, they think of it more as a consumer rather yeah. than someone who actively gives in that context. There, there, can be a, there, there can be the perception of either I don't want that or I don't need that. And rarely is there the thought of, well, maybe I'm called by scripture and by God to reach out to others and care for them, not just to receive care myself, but to care for others. So I think sometimes uh, people have a sort of consumer mentality when it comes to uh, this idea of community of, well, I tried it, I didn't get anything out of it, or I didn't like it, or that person, you know, the people that I was, you know, connecting with uh, weren't like me. And so I struggled with that. And so I didn't get much out of it. And so I'm checking out, I'm, 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 I'm done hmm. versus a sense of, well, I, I'm also called to actively pursue caring for others in terms of uh, my responsibility as a Christian within the body of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that that consumer mentality is, is, uh, I, I, I think a pretty important phrase that, there, there are some relationships and there are some pieces of our community that should be consumer-based, right? Um, when you go to the grocery store, it should be a relationship that's consumer-based, right? I, I, you know, I like my grocer, but if I get a better price somewhere else, I'm, go I'm gonna go somewhere else. But, but I don't know that our, our relationships in the church should be that. They should be more uh, 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 committed. They should be more uh, covenantal in that way. Yeah, I, I'm not... Um... I'm not opposed to all elements of consumeristic uh, life, right? There, there's a place for uh, having a consumer mentality in certain contexts, to be sure. Um, I, in, in terms of community, um, I think that one of, the, uh, one of the, the things that sticks in my brain about this whole concept of community is uh, this would have been during my uh, days in Wheaton, working on my PhD, we were part of a, a church, uh, really good, strong biblical church. And uh, we were preaching through Hebrews. And our pastor preached through, uh, I think we were in uh, Hebrews 3 and 4, which is the story of, uh, it's really a, an exposition of Psalm 95, which is retelling Israel's experience of wandering in the wilderness and their disobedience there. And, and it's interesting, he he entitled his sermon on that passage, Help Me Get to Heaven. Hmm. And his point in that was simply that we need each other to persevere in the faith, that God uses relationships in our lives to help us continue to persevere in trusting in Jesus, even in the face, to, face of difficult circumstances and persecution and all that kind of stuff. So that, that, that expression has kind of stuck in my head of help me get to heaven. Um, obviously, Christ is the one who gets us there. His spirit sustains us and does that. But God uses means. He yeah. uses the means of the relationships we have with other people in our lives. And, we, and we've, I, I think any Christian who's walked with Jesus for any period of time has had the experience of someone speaking a truth into their life at a key moment and, and looking back and being able to say, that's exactly what I needed to hear. What that person said, even if they didn't realize how targeted and direct and on target it was, uh, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That encouraging piece of scripture, that word of rebuke, whatever it might've been, that act of kindness that that person may not even realize they've done was exactly what I needed at that moment. And that's a function of being in community with people. Hmm. Yes. And I, I, from my own personal experience, that's been beneficial to me um, when, when I've, when people have said that or, or have pushed me to do something, I can think of a, a particular time in a, in a, in a small group where I was, encouraged to go um for for a for a job that i that i i had kind of settled in my own head that i wasn't going to go for or uh or to you know 
stop doing what I'm doing in, in, in this way in life. And so there's, there's uh, some, some of those things in community have been really, really good, even though people do, probably aren't thinking about those today. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about them today. I, I can remember being a freshman in college and even having uh, a senior guy who, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> He would remember this conversation. In fact, I've had this conversation with him. He doesn't remember us talking, but uh, him going, you know, a lot of people were really involved on campus and I just kind of decided I was going to be part of a local church and and be really involved there. I went, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Uh, You know, as an (laughs) 18-year-old, I I hadn't thought of that. And so um, that was was, uh, impactful for me. And and you just don't know um, where where it's going to come from or how it's going to impact you. So... Yeah, so let's uh, let's transition to thinking about how do you think our current experience of quarantine, which has greatly limited our uh, experience of community, uh, and and in, in this context, we're talking specifically about physical proximity. Obviously, uh, people are trying to do things that uh, at some level. Uh, replicate that. I know both of us are in life groups that are meeting virtually through Zoom. Um, but, uh, most of us, if we're following the social distancing protocols have greatly limited or restricted our actual, uh, interaction with people in a sort of person to person, face to face embodied experience. Of course, uh, most significantly demonstrated by the fact that, uh, we're not gathering together as local congregations to worship. So how do you think this current context, let's say coming out of it, uh, whenever that is, um, do you, what sort of impact do you think our current experience will have on our future experience of uh, community, our desire for it, things like that? In, in relation to, to churches, right? That's, that's kind of the, the That's our focus, yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah, not so much in the broader public square. Yeah, I do think there'll be a variety of responses, and I'm sure the dust will settle in one way or another. But I think there's going to be a, a certain segment that that are like, boy, I, I I really need to get back to you know I didn't realize what I had in a worship service until it was gone. I didn't realize what that was doing for um, my spiritual life. I didn't realize what that was doing for my physical well-being to a certain extent. Uh, I didn't realize what it was doing for for my mental stability to to a certain extent. Um, so I think there will be a segment that that desires that to to be together with other believers, uh, singing praises and listening to the Lord preach. And then I think there'll be another segment that goes, um, we we can do this online. We can do we can yeah. continue to do all of this online, you know. And and so uh, say, boy, it's been really nice to be in our pajamas until you know uh, eleven a.m. on a Sunday morning, and you know. Uh, let's continue yeah. to do that. Um, and I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a little nervous about that crowd. If I'm, if I'm being, uh, if I'm being, if I'm being honest, um, I also well, think, uh, the physical touching will go away in large <laughs> church services, hopefully for a time. And that excites me very much. Yeah. I, I know you're not disappointed about that. Ne- <laughs> neither of us are big huggers when it comes to, um, yeah, that kind of interaction. So, uh, but what, what do you think of this? I, I think, this is uh, a partial hot take and uh, I'm going to state it sharply and then I'm going to back away from it. But um, don't you think that at some level, that's a bit of a dividing line between um, people who take their walk with Christ seriously versus those who have it as part of their life, but it's not really central to who they are and what they're about. Meaning that the people who are, serious about walking with Jesus will long for and pursue those sorts of, you know, return to kind of community in terms of being with other believers, while those who maybe are a little bit less serious uh, and have it maybe as a cultural piece of their identity or um, just sort of, a, you know, are not as committed to, uh, to Christ, uh, might tend to fall more into the category of, well, yeah, heck, I can just, you know, get my fix through some, you know, an internet message and maybe some worship songs on Spotify or something. Do you think that's too sharp of a statement? Yeah, yes and no. I I, I think, uh, 
I do think that people tend to, I, I, it has a tendency to be true. Like I think that's generally true, but um, I think coming out of that movement, I think we will have people that really, really love Jesus, but will eventually move into long for and desire a person to person experience, kind of, kind of like what you're saying. Um, and so I, I think um, well, one thing that I've been grateful for in some of those internet church movements is it does awaken a desire for people, but those people have a tendency to go, I, I really need to be in person with people and interact with people and move that way. And so uh, it's been a, it's been a way that the church has, has continued to grow. So I think it's a little bit of a hot take. Do, do you want to back off it now? Or do you want to, do you want to lean into it a little bit more? I don't know. I'm tempted to double down. Um, <laughs> I'm going to channel my inner Skip Bayless here, um, but uh, <laughs> Lord have mercy, no. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I just think that, um, and this maybe this goes back to the earlier comment about consumerism. That to me feels like the ultimate experience of consumerism because it's all what I get and none of what I am called to contribute in terms of what my role is in the body of Christ. It's just about me consuming. Oh, well, I'll go with a John Piper message this week. I'll go with a Lig Duncan one next week. You know, pick your favorite internet preacher or whatever. Um, and maybe I'll, you know, chime in on a message board or something. And now I've got community. Like, that's not biblical community. You know, that, that's at best a shadow or a, sub, a, a cheap substitute for the real thing when it comes to embodied existence, uh, embodied uh, experience of community where you're physically with someone. And, you know, look, we've experienced this in the education realm, right? It's so different when you're trying to, to teach online where you can't physically see or easily read body language or facial expressions or things like that. Because when you can do that in person, you can often say, okay, I got to stop. And it's clear that people aren't necessarily tracking with me. Let me back up and let me try to re-explain that. Or even just, um, you know, you can't fully replicate that in an online context. And I just think that there are elements of our existence as believers, fundamental elements of our existence as believers that cannot be replicated through a virtual context that... At, at the minimum, are, um, are, are leaving people who want to go that route very spiritually anemic or spiritually undernourished when it comes to their understanding of what it means to walk with Jesus. Yeah, and, and I, I, think, I think we mostly agree. I, I, I do. I, I do think that those internet churchgoers, the people that, that do get saved through that or the people that do have a, a spiritual renewal through that, will find their way to a congregation. I, I think that's I think that's innate in the person that that they're going to desire that. Yes. And again, obviously there are extenuating circumstances, right? Maybe they're in a place where there's not a good faithful local congregation sure. or, you know, something like that. But again, so I think oftentimes in these conversations, those exceptions are charted out. Well what about what about? And I was like, okay, but doesn't the exception prove for the, the rule? <laughs> yeah, for the for the general population. Yeah, I, I think they they probably need to be in a church in a, in a physical gathering. Yes, absolutely. So, anyway, we should probably move on to our uh, to our athlete here. Yeah, for yeah. Episode fifteen. You want to walk through our options here? Yeah. So, uh, people who've worn the number fifteen, uh, a recent uh, person, uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, wears fifteen. Yep. Uh, Dad was a New York Met, big fan. Um, okay. Uh, Bart Starr uh, won the first two Super Bowls with the Green Bay Packers. Um, yes. Was a was a player in the Ice Bowl, I believe, against uh, yep. the Cowboys. Yep. Sort of um, an iconic presence in the early NFL years. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, uh, the Denver Nugget, New York Nick, Atlanta Hawk for a day. Um, now he in New York, did he wear fifteen? Because I know he did it in Denver. That's a good question. I'm not totally certain. Um, I always struggle to watch Carmelo. It, you know, it was just like the ball would get to him and it would just die. Um, and yeah, in fact, um, 
you'll appreciate this. Most of our listeners probably won't because they don't know Greek, but uh, the my memory trick for remembering, there's a Greek verb. There's the verb mellow, which means I am about to. And hmm. so for my sports inclined Greek students, I say your memory trick for remembering that is mellow was always about to shoot the ball. So again, there's the, there's, there's your little Greek tidbit for the, uh, for the episode, but. Yeah. I, the only time I saw Carmelo play live in person was I went uh, to Madison square garden at the, at kind of the height of Lynn's sanity. Okay. Um, <laughs> And when Lynn's sanity was at its best is when Carmelo was injured um, and the ball moved, right? Yeah. Um, but when Carmelo was on the floor, the, the ball didn't move and the ball just, just kind of stopped. Now, in the game I was at, um, I think they shot a, just a million threes, right? I think J.R. Smith had seven or eight. Steve Novak <laughs> had seven or eight. Carmelo had six or seven. And sure. Jeremy Lin had like six points, you know, and yeah. that was, that was a game. Um, so anyway, Carmelo, uh, Vince Carter. Um, yeah. Who, goodness, uh, I think has played in, he played which in. He, he was the original, he was Vin Sanity from Vin which Sanity. Lin Sanity eventually sort yeah. of took its, its, its name from, but. He, he played in, I, I think I read recently the nineties, uh, the, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now the, the 2020s played in four decades of uh, different decades. Yeah, he's fantastic. And if if the NBA doesn't restart, he he he. I mean, he's he is retiring this year, so he may have played his last game uh, in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. What's remarkable about him is um, not just his longevity, but in the mid 90s when he came into the league, uh, he was an athletic freak. Um, and his his other nickname was half man half amazing and uh he was just he has some epic if you're interested if you like slam dunk competitions if you youtube some of his uh some of his performances in the slam dunk competitions it's it's epic stuff but when he lost his athleticism to the level of you know being elite he re branded his game and became a deadly three-point shooter, which enabled him to stick around in the league for many years, well past the time where he could explode past people consistently and finish at the rim. And I remember one Olympics I was watching. It was, it was pretty early in it, maybe 2000, where he jumped over, a, I believe, a seven-foot German yeah. <laughs> and, and dunked over him, like in-game. And it, yeah. was, it was just, oh, my goodness. He was uh, freakishly it, athletic, yeah. Yeah, he he was a lot of he was a lot of fun, and yeah. and of course uh, our uh, our homage to uh, to uh, Ohio State. Do you want to drop the athlete? Yeah, that would be the Ohio State University, and um, I, I think the obvious uh, representative for Ohio State is uh, Ezekiel Elliott. He wore number fifteen at Ohio State, and uh, was discussing the other day with uh, with one of my boys. Um, whether he or Eddie George was the best Ohio State running back I've seen in my lifetime. I think mm. there's a bit of a, you know, flip the coin on that. Even though Eddie George won the Heisman Trophy, uh, Ezekiel Elliott was unbelievable. Uh, so uh, who are we going to go with here uh, in terms of our athletes? You got a, you got a preference? Well, I would like to remove Carmelo Anthony first and foremost. Agreed. Um. I don't think either of us were alive for Bart Starr in the NFL, so maybe we could remove him as well. Agreed. Um, Patrick Mahomes feels too new. Agreed. Uh, so that leaves us with, well, and Ezekiel Elliott doesn't wear 15 in the pros. Yes, that's correct. That's so we can correct. have a conversation with him in six or seven episodes. Um, <laughs> so that leaves us with, I'm, I'm cool with. Yeah, I'm good with going with Vince Carter as well. I think uh, he is a remarkable athlete. And so I think uh, for the number 15, he's an excellent choice here. All right. One thing you liked this week. Yeah. Um, so uh, Andrea and I have been watching, uh, re-watching uh, the series Lost on Hulu. Um, they have all the seasons and everything. And I, when, when, when it was originally being watched, uh, I, I, we would get a group of people together every week to watch it. Um, 
in the dorm uh, when I was in college and uh, it was, it was great. I, I bowed out and probably season season four or five. So I'm coming up on the middle of season three right now. So excited to see how, uh, how the story ends. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Lost is probably either my favorite or second favorite television series in terms of drama uh, of all time. Yeah. It's, it's something I've watched through probably three or four times now. And every time through you see different layers and, you know, things like that. So JJ Abrams is, is quite, quite good. Um, if you ever, have you, if you've ever seen his Ted talk, it describes all of his, all of his movies um, where there's just like this mystery that you don't really understand. Um, yeah. However, I think JJ Abrams at times uh can start a mystery not knowing what the conclusion is. Um, oh, it's very clear that he he did that in some ways with Lost. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that's what I've heard about the ending. So I'm I'm a little skeptical. And he did that. I think he did that with Star Wars too. And I think that's why it kind of kind of yeah. flopped the way it did. Yeah. Anyway, what's your one thing this week? Yeah, for me, it's um, the Easter feast that my wife prepared for us this past weekend. So we had. Uh, a big spiral ham. We had cheesy potato casserole, mm. cream spinach, green beans with bacon, and then um, a delightful berry cobbler as the uh, dessert. So uh, props to my uh, lovely bride for uh, feeding us so well in the midst of a uh, Easter pandemic here. So and you you love your cream spinach, don't you? Isn't that your like? I do. I, I do not like spinach, but when you uh, surround it in cheesy, creamy goodness, um, you have my attention. So, okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, in any case, I believe that we have uh, managed to wander through our various and sundry topics. I, I think that. Yet again, we've, we can mark this as mission accomplished for the week. Would you agree? I, I think so, yeah. All right, excellent. So I guess that just leaves us with one more thing to say. The Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.